Hello, everyone. Jody Heiss here bringing you another edition of the Freedom Caucus podcast. We welcome you aboard and appreciate you joining in with us today. We've got a great program lined up. Um, I think probably most of you are aware at this point that Speaker Pelosi continues to refuse to let the House of Representatives open, at least as normal. And yet we look across at the other chamber, uh, the Senate, they continue to do their work. And so many of us in the House are saying, look, it's, uh, the president's working, the Senate is working, it's time for the House to be at work as well. Today we have uh, a great junior senator from Indiana, Mike Braun, is joining us. He has a fantastic story. He uh, came into the Senate 2018, so he's a junior member there. Uh, he served for a, a brief time in the State House under Governor then Governor Mike Pence. Uh, and he is, uh, he's had a career of some successful businesses. But what I love in particular about his story is how in itself it is so American. I mean, I, Senator, I love your story. You're from a small town, Jasper, Indiana. You're a high school athlete. You end up marrying your high school sweetheart. Uh, you go off to college. You become the student body president uh, you, you go to Harvard Business School, you do all this amazing uh, things on your resume, but then you come back home to Jasper, Indiana, co-found a business, uh, very successful in that. And I think it's just an amazing story. I look forward to getting in, uh, into further detail with you on all of this. But you have extensive knowledge on business. Uh, you've got the perspective from the Senate now. And so I want us to talk about rebooting the economy in the midst of all that we're facing. Uh, so, uh, Senator Braun, thank you so much for joining us today on the Freedom Caucus podcast. Well, Jody, good to be on. And uh, I know that we've got uh, probably eight to ten senators that would be the uh, kind of analog to uh, the Freedom Caucus. We call it the steering committee. And we meet every uh, Monday as soon as we get back in town. And now, uh, what you described there for me, I uh, did that biggest uh, decision my wife and I made back in 78 was to, uh, I was a finance guy to boot uh, that probably met Wall Street, and we came back to the hometown, the place that we knew, uh, faith, family, community were our reasons and wanted to start a family. I'm lucky now that that little business I had for 17 years um, was uh, one that kind of sat still. I knew it had potential, and now three of my four kids uh, in a good young executive team run that little business of now close to a thousand employees that has 70 locations across 40 states. So uh, wow. really, the dream come true. Been heavily involved in agriculture and been a tree farmer, and uh, go back and forth every week. Uh, I love. Uh, the roots, and I think that uh, ought to be the driver. Of course, I term limited myself uh, when I came into the place, and uh, I believe that uh, just finishing the book by Dr. Tom Coburn. If you haven't uh, uh, read it, uh, you know, I advise you to. So, just a lot of uh, good stuff. And being here a year and a half, I got a, I think, a full view of. Uh, what the place is like, uh, not much political will to go around. Uh, nobody uh, believes in a budget anymore. That's frustrating when you come from a place like Indiana where we have a rainy day fund and a balanced budget. And, uh, so there's great room for improvement. Admired the Freedom Caucus, caucus to where you uh, 
kind of set the standard of how government should work. And uh, let's face it, we're engaged in a long-term battle, and the very fact that you've got somebody commandeering uh, how things work in the House and to believe that you don't really need to come to work to serve the people and want to dish us up a $3.3 trillion helping of uh, uh, big government, uh, it sometimes uh, makes you scratch your head, can we ever change things? But I'm eternally hopeful. I believe that in the long run, state and local government will be the way people will understand that uh, you're close to the people, you get things done, and you live with accountability and all that. And uh, I'll keep driving those principles home and try to fix a broken system uh, for the time I'm here. Well, thank you for your leadership and all of that. And, I, you know, my district in Georgia, we, we've got about 25 counties and much of it, obviously, rural. And the, just the, your, your story, how you, you came back home, you know, it's important to me that young people understand that their hometowns can be seen as a place for the future, not just a place where they grew up in the past. And I, I love your story with that. But let's let's move on. We've got this economy now. We've got the coronavirus. There are so many lessons already that are in process, I believe, of being learned, such as the supply chains, uh, be it food, prescription drugs, manufacturing, whatever it may be. If there has ever been a time that America learns a lesson that it is not wise for us to be so dependent upon other countries, and particularly countries who are adversarial. Now is the time for us to learn that lesson. Uh, what, what are your, your thoughts on that? Do you think we're learning that in the Senate as well as the House, as a nation as a whole? Well, I think we shouldn't have been s such slow learners of that. Uh, of course, the whole trade scenario, and I'm one that you know believes in free trade, but it's got to be fair along with it. The Chinese obviously got a master plan to uh, kind of uh, supplant us somewhere down the road, and I was so happy the president took them on uh, through all the trade issues we were navigating through. Right. And as much as I didn't like the heavy hand of tariffs, uh, sometimes you got to make exceptions. And with someone like China, state capitalists, authoritarian, totalitarian, whichever adjective you want to use, uh, they're playing for real. Uh, they've got fortitude. They've got patience. And the big thing, they've been revealed to the world not only through their uh, trading practices, which uh, Trump called them on the carpet, and I think that was finally bringing them back to where they were going to, in the short run, change their behavior. And now you look at the whole uh, COVID-19, uh, where it... Uh, arose, uh, how there was no transparency, how the same cards were played uh, as they do normally, and uh, it's uh, an issue. And that supply chain was starting to move because uh, home, or, uh, auto and truck accessories, RV parts and accessories, a lot of those markets, uh, stuff that we distribute along with many parts of the economy, ha had moved pretty aggressively to China. And this is an eye-opener. Uh, that is going to be in flux big time over the next two to three years. Uh, China won't be out of the picture. They'll do things to keep people there. But it's a wake-up call, and especially when you look at uh, things like generic drugs, other uh, national security-type supply chains. Uh, thank goodness uh, 
we're making those adjustments. I believe we will. There might need to be some legislation to uh, uh, make sure we get it right. Uh, I think a lot of it's going to occur on its own. Absolutely. Well, and I think, uh, you know, certainly people I talk to across the whole gamut, the, the spectrum, people understand we it is not a good idea for us to be so dependent in the supply chain on other countries. But let's let's move on, uh, Senator Braun. I, I, you are a, a master of business, uh, and l- let's talk about this this whole thing. The Freedom Caucus, as you know, we've been on the House side of things very heavily calling upon the need for us to open the economy to do it swiftly and safely. My home state of Georgia is taking a great lead. We're seeing tremendous results both on the decline of COVID-19 while at the same time opening the economy. Things are going great in Georgia, now states all across the country. In fact, I think all 50 states in one degree or another are now in process of reopening. But but I, I really like to have your opinion on what does it take, what does it take not only to open states for business, but what is it going to take to bring back our economy? What a devastating blow has been inflicted upon us. What's it going to take to open business? More importantly, what's it going to take to reestablish a booming economy that we had three months ago? So, great question. And I did two floor speeches in the week before uh, we left, which I think was March 26th when I flew back home that cited this very issue. Uh, the healthcare component, there was enough uncertainty. The virus is peculiar, we know that. Uh, we know the basic dynamics there uh, with distancing, hygiene, and I did, never did like the sheltering at home necessarily. That did not make sense in many rural counties across the country to where you had to stay there uh, because you were kind of socially distanced by the way you live. And then when you look at um, what it's going to take to reopen the economy, we're going to, when we get this in the rearview mirror, look at it dispassionately. And there's nothing dispassionate about it now because you've got Donald Trump and you've got an election coming up. And if you just see how they've spun it politically, it was PPE, it was ventilators, it was ICU beds. Uh, now it's testing, testing, testing. That's a faux argument in the sense there was not a quick accurate, inexpensive test. And we got more of them now and, uh, than any other country could have generated. And I checked with the CEOs of the company that do these things. They said things were moving at a very quick uh, pace from the get-go. The CDC fumbled and cost us 40 days on right. getting the testing kind of entrepreneurs going. Uh, but that's all somewhat water under the bridge, but we'll find that the one-size-fits-all Letting bureaucrats have the discretion to say essential and non-essential. Uh, my downtown, my wife's business of 42 years, all of them were shut. All of them could have stayed open because they had low traffic environments. They were willing to pay attention to the rules, and we'll get through all of that. So going forward, you got to remember one mindset has scared the bejesus out of the American public. The disease has had enough peculiarities to tell us that you can't take it lightly. We could have done two things at once. 
We could have right. done that in Jasper, Indiana, Dubois County, in Indiana, but even governors and some of the red state governors, thank goodness your state, Georgia, which got uh, reviled for being entrepreneurial on a reopening, I think will be vindicated as a place that's going to have less economic carnage. So what we need to make sure happens going forward, just got off the phone with uh, some osteopaths that are now doing elective surgeries, thought they'd be busy. People are scared coming back into um, a hospital environment or a clinic because they're relating the COVID-19 being more apt to be caught there. So we'll have to get over that. I went out to eat Friday and Saturday at a couple local restaurants. We're pleased they were paying attention to the rules, but we're still somewhat along for the ride. And I think we'll see this as a blue state, red state recovery Mm -hmm. and where you've let bureaucrats and all these kind of overly prescriptive ways of doing things take hold state by state. There are going to be slower recoveries on account of it. And even New York, when it was in the depths of the horror that we all witnessed, upstate New York probably didn't need to be treated like the five boroughs. And somewhat water under the bridge, but there's going to be that forward momentum and consumer confidence that still got what the recent past has kind of etched into their minds. So I believe there's going to be where you didn't have overly burdensome shutdowns, you're going to see it spring back uh, like you're bouncing off a trampoline. Uh, Otherwise, in places like Michigan, even a state like Kentucky, that's generally a red state, but it's got a governor that's acting like, uh, you know, uh, that point of view is the only thing that works, it's going to be tougher. So what we can do through government, uh, I believe the federal government's a very poor substitute for replacing the real productive economy. We did shut it down. That's why I was okay with uh, 1, 2, 3, 3, and 3.5. Now, other than any errors and omissions and any really smart legislation, uh, we need to fully embrace the smart restart because I don't know what we can do here. We don't do anything very effectively and efficiently. So, Well, absolutely. I mean, government does not stimulate the economy, really. It uh, provide some policies where free market can can thrive, and I know we've only got a few moments to go, uh, and you're gonna you're, you've got to run. But this whole thing between the the distinction between government being involved in all of this versus uh, just the economy and the free enterprise, uh, that's what's got to be ignited and set free. Let government deal with the regulations and the taxes and create an environment where the free enterprise system can thrive. What, what do you see uh, the Senate doing, the House, the, the government as a whole doing to make the distinction between the role of government and the role of the free market system? Well, I think you're going to see what the one tendency is, and it was rolled out last Friday in your chamber. Right. Um, sad thing is, since I've been here, Jody, and we do have more time, I probably can stretch this till one o'clock if you want to take the time because okay. uh, we'll we're going to our time. Senate luncheon um, and that generally uh, lasts about an hour and a half and you don't need to be there more than 45 minutes. So, okay. uh, you know, I, I think we're at uh, a threshold, a crossroads to where hopefully the American public is going to take note of what the two ways of doing business are. 
in this country. And this couldn't have probably clarified it in a clearer way for people to understand it. And this kind of adherence to the shutdown mentality, seeing that surface in Michigan. Michigan, to me, is going to be an interesting state. Mm -hmm. You've had one of the most aggressive governors that believes in everything we don't believe in, and it's a swing state, and you've got a lot of people riled up. And i got to believe that's many in the middle as well as, well as the 40% that are going to follow that point of view regardless of the results and the consequences. So I think when it comes to what is our role here, our role is to where Nancy Pelosi uh, doesn't want a uh, crisis to be wasted and wants to do more government. We've got to talk smartly about how you maybe take the opportunity to deregulate a little bit, let that agility and entrepreneurialism surface. And if we can't do it in a way through the federal government, we talk about it, and we see states set the stage because they're going to tell us who had the right point of view and who didn't. Whether that'll change this great divide between blue and red, sadly, due to the lack of political will here, how we would get the 60 votes on the current setup for something significant, ground-shifting, I don't see it. Even when it comes down to hard votes here in the Senate, and I believe defense is the most important thing that we do, uh, shore up the entitlements, uh, maybe infrastructure. Uh, of course, we don't do any of them well because we try to do so many things through government. Uh, whether that is all going to be fleshed out in a way that the American public says enough is enough when they've been drinking the Kool-Aid of more government, I think it's playing out right in front of us, and I really don't know which way it's going to go, but every moment I have here, I tell people that come into my office, many of them conservatives, you ought to find a new business partner. You've got your hat in hand wanting more from a government, that's a bad business partner. It's a broken institution, and I know the Freedom Caucus feels the same way, and we may be along for the ride until we completely deplete the Medicare trust fund or to where people quit lending us money. Uh, sadly, that's going to be a, a slow road to that calamity. And can we fix it and get 51% of the House to come along and uh, 60 votes in the Senate, uh, assuming that the filibuster is still in place? Who knows? Uh, I think uh, the best we can do is talk about it along the way. Well, I, you bring up some excellent points. And you know, I really believe what we are watching is the beginning of what the new battleground is going to be for the upcoming years, and that is the massive expansion of government that has come about through this pandemic, along with massive expansion of our national debt, obviously, uh, and, and the loss of our civil liberties. I mean, these, these are defining clearly to me what the new battleground is going to be. And once the genie's out of the bottle, it's very difficult to get it back in. But uh, we must. We must have limited government. Uh, we must maintain our freedoms, and we've got to get our financial house in order. Uh, so I'm so grateful for your leadership in the Senate. Let me let me conclude with this. Hey, Jody, uh, yes, Jody one point before you conclude. Okay. And here is what I view as the current unholy alliance and how this place works. I told you I think defense is the most important thing that we do. But we are getting snookered by the Dems, yep. because when it comes down to I do not 
generally vote for the NDAA, and I explain it, and Hoosiers understand it, that until we are willing to put defense into play, because we've brought it back to where it needs to be, but if we constantly do not hold the line when it comes to budget issues, mm-hmm. we're going to get played by the Democrats. Every time. And it's going to be these structural trillion-dollar deficits. We've got to work as hard as we can to keep defense strong, but we can't hold it sacrosanct to the extent that we don't have the discipline and the courage to then rein in government in general. And as long as that is the current dynamic, we're going to have a calamity solve it in a financial way. And that's the thing that's most depressing to me because I've got – probably 15 to 20 real fiscal conservatives in the Republican caucus. When it comes down to spending and appropriations, we're down to three, four, or five of us. And it's for that reason I just cited. Well, we have the same issue in the House. Um, There's no question, but I could not agree with you more on that. Let me me ask this kind of last uh, fun fact. One of the things we love to do on this podcast is kind of pull back the the curtain and get an inside look at Washington, D.C. You've been here now. Uh, a year and a half, you are doing a great job serving uh, the people of Indiana and doing a great job in the Senate. Uh, but in reality, you're in the swamp now. If if we could just kind of roll back the curtain, what has surprised you about Washington that maybe you could not fully have anticipated before coming here? Well, the biggest thing is how most people here don't think anything is wrong. Uh, they come here well and now shrug off trillion-dollar deficits, talk a good game. Um, if you read Coburn's book of smashing the D.C. monopoly, uh, clearly term limits would get better people in here that would give a part of their career up rather than trying to make a career of it and a balanced budget amendment that actually was so strong that you just couldn't uh, breach it. Um, but what surprises me most is that, uh, the fact that people I respect that I know are smart, I guess just haven't had enough real world experience to know that this isn't going to end well, but still don't make the hard decisions. And it comes down to what to me is lacking most is political will. And that is a short commodity that you got to have it if you're successful in the arena of building a business because it's you got competition you got to earn your revenues you got new ideas that you have to compete with you got a lot more moving parts in difficulty and if it wasn't for discipline and will even if you are smart and have great ideas you're never going to make it to the finish line and uh, to me that's the thing that I've seen is most starkly different from where I come from and from where I know what works. Senator Mike Braun, great state of Indiana, extremely well said. Thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. Thank you, Joe. Look forward to doing it again sometime. Likewise. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, folks, listen, that's all the time we have for this episode. As always, I want to encourage you to rate and subscribe uh, to to this this podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Also, with Freedom Caucus, you can always follow us at facebook.com uh, slash freedom caucus and on twitter simply at 
Freedom Caucus. That's all the time we have today. Until next time, have a fantastic remainder of your day. We'll see you next go-round.